Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and anyone looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm K. Albert Little, an evangelical, non-denominational convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That sent me, an evangelical in my early 20s, onto a deep dive into the history of Christianity, the history of the biblical canon, how the Bible was formed and how it was used down throughout history, what happened at the Reformation, why were certain churches worshipping a different way from my church. During this journey, this deep dive, I bumped into the Catholic Church. It was inevitable in a study of Christian history, and there it was looming large. And it was then, when I began to take seriously the claims of the Catholic Church, when I began to look into Catholic teaching from the heart of the Church, from actual Catholic sources, it was then that I realized how little I knew about the Catholic Church. What I knew was based, more often than not, on misinformation and simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that gap. And, well, this week is a little bit different. If you're a long-time listener, you'll know that I normally sit down with Catholic theologians and biblical scholars, bishops, and converts like myself to talk about Catholic ideas, to shed light, to clarify tough Catholic teaching. Well, in this episode, I'm joined not by a Catholic, not even by someone who calls themselves a Christian. I'm talking this week with John Steingard. John is the lead singer of the Christian rock band Hawk Nelson. John, a lifelong evangelical Christian, recently posted a story about his deconversion, the deconstruction of his Christian faith, and ended up by saying that he's not even sure he believes in God at all anymore. Well, John's story made some waves out there. And when I saw it, and maybe you saw it too, I was instantly attracted to it because so many, so many of the points that he raised were the exact points that were raised in my own journey out of the evangelical Christian faith and into the Catholic Church. There were just so many similarities, so many overlaps, so many intersections. And so I reached out to John to chat on this show and he was happy to join me. John, as it turns out, is the world's most decent guy. Remarkably kind. And this is a fantastic conversation. So, it's not the usual kind of episode that I do here. Although, it isn't so far off. And I do welcome your feedback at cordialcatholic at gmail.com. Please, reach out. But know that, well, it is what it is. There are things that I wish that I had said, and things that I wish that I wouldn't have said, and things that I said that I wish I could change. But well, this is just the sort of thing that happens, I think, in a discussion like this, a, a serious conversation about stuff that really matters. In the end, I hope it's a useful discussion. I hope you enjoy it. I did immensely. And I hope you learned something new. It was, after all, a conversation. And my goal, and I said it a lot in this episode, is to simply expand these kinds of conversations to add another bit of a voice or a new perspective to these kinds of evangelical deconstruction stories. Because that was me too. And instead of losing my faith altogether, I found something unimaginable in what I would have thought was a very unlikely place. 
in the Catholic Church. Well, without any further ado, here's my fantastic conversation with John Steingard. Please listen and enjoy. Hey, friends, and welcome back to The Cordial Catholic. Thanks for being here. This week's discussion is going to be a fantastic one. Oh, I can guarantee it. I'm joined by John Steingard. John is the frontman of the popular, best-selling, award-winning Christian rock band Hawk Nelson. In May 2020, just a few months ago here, John posted on his Instagram page that he had lost faith in God, although he was open to believing again, he says. Since then, he's fielded a number of interviews and had conversations like this one on a number of different platforms and released is releasing his own kind of conversation about why he lost his faith on his YouTube page. But we're here today to talk about that. And John, I'm so grateful that you could join me here on this podcast. So welcome to The Cordial Catholic. (laughs) Thank you for being here. And hello. Hey, what's up, man? Thank you so much for having me. Well, look, I want to say right away, this is not my normal kind of conversation that I have on this show. My wife asked if I was even qualified to uh, to have this kind of conversation. I'm an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and normally I interview Catholic theologians or historians or other converts who tell their stories. But you know, I've been I've been following you, watching you on social media, and watching your videos and your interviews in different podcasts and uh, different places. And there's there are so many similarities in our stories, and lots of questions I think that you asked that that, oh, that I asked and found answers in in for me an unexpected place. So I know you're open to these conversations, to different ideas. And honestly, I'm guessing there are tons of people listening who, who to this conversation who are in a similar place to where you are and where I was, and asking similar questions. And so. What I hope with doing this is that we can invite some new ideas into these kinds of conversations. And I want to thank you right away for having this this chat and for your vulnerability in, in these kinds of discussions to begin with. Thank you. Oh, dude, thank you so much. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I... I come from from an evangelical Christian background as well. <laughs> and, and I would, you know, we can get into the details, but I, I imagine... That, that some of the same questions that I've been asking recently, you know, or maybe some of the ones that caused, you know, the change for you to sort of look else, you know, look elsewhere, I guess sounds, sounds negative, but like to, to ask questions that led you in another direction, basically. And, um, and, you know, Catholicism is actually something I didn't know a ton about until, you know, the mm-hmm. last six months or so. And, I'm super intrigued. Uh, there's a there's a lot that's really interesting about it to me. Um, so I, I I just I welcome this conversation and dude, thank you so much for having me and and I always try to enter these conversations, these types of conversations, with with the understanding that there's there's certainly something I can learn, and um, with with some people that's easier to to do than others and in this conversation it's very easy to do because i'm quite i'm quite sure i'll learn something so thank you well you know we're we're both uh, we're both from canada so i think we have a good common ground there <laughs> 
Yeah, my family's actually about 45 minutes away from you in Stratford. That's fantastic. Listen, here's what I'm thinking this conversation will shake out. I want to give you some space to talk about your faith journey and some of the questions that caused you to begin to doubt your faith and deconstruct your faith up to the point where you are now. And I know you've you've done this elsewhere and you are, are putting out now just recently your own on your YouTube channel, kind of your chance to just have it out with uh, your from yourself on your own terms. I think it's a fantastic idea. But I want you to share a bit of your story. I want to share a bit of my journey sure. and look at some parallels there because I'm thinking that there are some weird and interesting places where the two of these stories kind of intersect. I mean, I'll be honest. Yeah. I'll be honest. One of the strangest things in my life to me is this. I mean, I'm Canadian and you're a Canadian living in America and we're yep. both out of this really uh, particular kind of North American charismatic evangelical tradition. And I can remember when I was asking some of these questions about the Bible and beginning to kind of deconstruct my own evangelical paradigm, I didn't know very many Catholics. And it's a long story, but I googled evangelicals becoming Catholic, thinking there'd be <laughs> I, <laughs> thinking there'd be nothing out there on this topic. But I stumbled into was this world where there were tons of evangelicals becoming Catholic, and it was a thing that I had no idea about. Like no one told me this was happening on Mass. And then I realized, well, there's actually a whole a lot of Catholics in the world. And then I realized that, well, wait, actually, the majority of the world's Christians are actually Catholic, which was kind of mind-blowing for me. And I mean, at like age 30, it dawned on me that the expression of Christianity, I'll say this, that I had known since I was about 15 in high school, was a ridiculously thin slice of what most people understood Christianity to be, first of all, for the first 1,500 years of the Christian church. And then, for most of the world's population, there was this kind of Christianity that, as an evangelical, wasn't even on my radar until I googled evangelicals becoming Catholic. All that to say, in my own deconstruction, there was this hugely, hilariously large, completely missing voice in the conversation that, when I discovered it, just kind of fundamentally shifted the conversation for me. So, I hope, you know, you share your story, I want to share a bit of mine, and then I I want to find these weird intersections where our two stories kind of connect. And I want to kind of extend that conversation a little bit, maybe interject a bit of a new voice here and really have a great conversation because it's it's a it's going to be a good one, I think. It's going to be a lot of fun, I think. That's awesome. Yeah. So wh- whenever I sort of tell this story of sort of, I guess, my deconstruction process or deconversion, I mean, like... The words are, the descriptions, those labels are so problematic for me because I feel like everyone has their own associations with them. And and this process is so unique to each person that goes through it. Um, so so I sometimes feel like they're unhelpful, but, but then you have to use a word to describe it somehow. So, you know, you got to pick something. So deconstruction seems to be the, the one that feels the most right to me. Um, but... Uh, Every time I tell this story, I feel like when I finish, I feel like I've done it a disservice because I feel like, I, oh, I didn't say that, you know, like clearly enough or like, oh, I forgot about this detail or whatever. So so I'll try to I'll try to sum it up for you. And, and every time I tell it, it's a little bit different and it, and it's a little bit hopefully uh, clearer. Um, but for me, um, I grew up, I'm a pastor's kid, grew up in a Christian home. Uh, a very charismatic Christian evangelical uh, upbringing, and with a heavy emphasis on uh, on the Holy Spirit and sort of this very experiential sort of personal relationship with Jesus 
sort of model of Christianity. Um, and, you know, like, like, you know, whatever you grew up with, that's, that's sort of your normal, right? And, and it, like you just described, like, you know, there's this whole swath of Christianity um, that, like you said, was Christianity for the first 1500 years of Christianity. And to this day is the majority of Christians is Catholicism. Like, that's just one example of, of a viewpoint that you, that was not your normal growing up. And, um, so similarly, like charismatic Christianity was my normal. And, uh, you know, I got really involved in worship music and, and I loved music in general. I joined uh, a band when I was 20 years old called Hawk Nelson and we started touring in the U S. Um, and I was the guitar player at the time. And, uh, in 2012, I became the singer. And along with that came, um, this added responsibility of like, I became the main songwriter for the band. And so I took that really seriously. Like, you know, I, I was the songwriter for a Christian band and I wanted to have something worthwhile to say. And, and I wanted, I wanted to really, really believe the things that I was saying and thinking about. And I think up until that point, as the guitar player, I think I had, I, th- this is something I'm realizing now. I don't think I realized it at the time, but I think as the guitar player those years, I just I just sort of went through life uh, without thinking too deeply about matters of faith. I think like it was the tradition I came up in and I was comfortable with it. It was my community. It was also my career. So like a lot of one thing a lot of people don't realize about, you know, if you're like a in a Christian band or say if you're a pastor or you're, you know, like a Christian public figure of some kind, you're, you're kind of a professional Christian. Um, and, and, and I, I just think I, I rolled with it, you know, and it wasn't until I became the singer that I started thinking more deeply about things because I was mining, you know, theology and Christian thought for ideas for songs and stuff like that. And I think I started taking, reading the Bible a little more seriously around that time too. And, um, over the course of the next five or six years, I started sort of discovering things that troubled me. And um, we can get into what some of those things are, but but uh, they sort of follow two tracks for me. The, one is experiential and one is intellectual. And so like on the experiential side, I would experience things that would sort of make me go like, wait, my my heart's leading me in one direction, but the Christian culture I'm in is leading me in another, and and I and those instances started to add up over time, and then on the intellectual side, I started reading more and more and more, and I started reading uh, things outside of the stream of Christianity that I was a part of, and discovering that like wow, like with uh, biblical interpretation, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that we're not all interpreting the same. And there's a lot of things that seem unclear about the Bible. And I was always raised like with this phrase, like, oh, well, the Bible is clear. And and then you read it and you're like, well, it's 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 really not in <laughs> like, uh, you know, like on certain issues, it's it's actually not not clear at all. And um, and one of the things that led me to sort of wonder if if well, that was one of the things that sort of led me to wonder, like, hey, did did human beings just write this book and is it imperfect because human beings are imperfect and 
I think I was I was always raised with this idea of biblical inerrancy, and that perception of what the Bible is was really a problem for me because I was finding all these things in the Bible that I'm like, that seems like a problem, like God telling Israel to go and kill every man, woman, and child uh, in Canaan, in, in what is that, 2 Samuel or 1 Samuel? I can't remember which Samuel. It's one of the Samuels. Um, like Things like that are sort of like, uh, what do I do with that? So I, I found enough of these things that it sort of led me to end up in a place where I was like, maybe we just made this all up. And I'm not sure that's exactly where I find myself now, but that was where I found myself a few months ago when I decided to um, publicly basically come out and, and talk about my doubts. And, um, and I did that because I felt like I had been so public with matters of faith that it felt sort of dishonest to not be public about the doubting process I had been in. And I also felt like there was an aspect of this that was like, you know, if, if I, if I didn't speak about this publicly, then I was sort of participating in a culture of shame that said, it's not okay to ask questions. It's not okay to doubt. And so by speaking up, I felt like I, I wanted to put a dent in that shame culture and create a, place for people to ask questions and you know if that means i go first and destroy my life <laughs> then 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 i'm willing you know to do that because i really believe that there's going to be catharsis on the other side that that this i really believe this journey is going somewhere good um and and i don't know exactly what that looks like yet but it's conversations like this with you that that help you know, further that process for me and also hopefully anyone else that has questions and, and doubts. Yeah, I think there's so much in there that I want to touch on. It's, yeah, it's, sorry, no, I went off fantastic. for a while. But. It's amazing. I mean, <laughs> and that's one of the enormous things that I think that, that you are doing that's, that's putting light in the place where there needs to be more light is that I've talked to so many people who have kind of come to a place of just leaving the faith because they felt like there was no place to ask questions. It was, I believe this right. whole, whole wholesale, whole hog, what's the expression? Yeah. <laughs> or I don't believe it at all. There's no room for a conversation. And, and so many people I've had these conversations with that, that felt that way that like, there's nowhere else I can go because I can't ask questions of my tradition. Um, so I think it's amazing. And, 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 such a good thing that that you are carving a space to ask those questions because I, I don't want to sound like um like arrogant or or what's the hey, right word you sound however you want to <laughs> sound man <laughs> i mean I, I look at you know i've had my own kind of faith journey and i look at that and go yeah of course of course there are qu- those are questions you have to ask because i asked those same questions on my journey i found different answers but I'm like, yeah, those are those are like questions that why aren't more people asking those questions? Because they seem like huge questions. Well, and you know what I mean? Right. And 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 I actually don't I don't feel like the majority of what I found would qualify as as an answer. Like like I, I'm not absolute on almost anything right now. Like I'm <laughs> I'm I'm very I'm having conversations like this. I'm very open to to lines of thinking, and I find myself. Like I went on, I went on an atheist podcast recently and I, I spent 45 minutes to an hour 
more or less defending Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> well, because because so many of the the things we talked about, you know, the, the person I was talking to was was there, he was he was gracious, but but he was also sort of like. You know, like, oh, tell me about, you know, this and how, you know, people have responded to you. And I'm like, well, actually, a lot of my Christian friends have been very gracious to me. Um, and so I think there's this expectation that I'm that I'm going to come out and like dunk on Christianity. <laughs> and and that's not my goal at all. I If I want to dunk on anything, it's just I, I would I, I would push back on. Anyone that has a false sense of certainty about anything, yeah, you know, and I think I grew up with a very false sense of secu- of certainty, you know, um, like like one of the experiences that I've had over the last year is like people will 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 yeah recommend it like an apologetics book to me or something, and probably not think that I would read it, but I actually have been reading a lot of them, and. Within the first two or three pages, we we get to a, a problem usually where it's like the author is presupposing something that I'm not prepared to presuppose, and and from there they build on it, and I'm like, well, I I see everything you're building here, and that seems nice, but like way down here at the foundation, there's something that that I don't I don't agree with you. Like a good example is one of my favorite authors of all time is C.S. Lewis. Um, and so he wrote, um, he, well, he wrote a, a bunch of really consequential books, but uh, Mere Christianity is a big one. The Problem of Pain is another is another big one. Screwtape Letters, Great Divorce, the Narnia series, obviously. But um, I think it was in Mere Christianity where he talks about Jesus. And he, he was like, look, if you, if you look at what Jesus said, uh, you have to he, he you have to look at him. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Those are your three options, because either he's being truthful about the things that he said, or he's crazy, or he's lying. And C.S. Lewis basically says those are your those are your only three options. And my question there is like, well, you're starting with the presupposition that Jesus actually did say everything that's attributed to him in the Bible, and and. And I'm not sure that we can be sure about that. So right there, like that's an example of like, those are the types of things that I always find in this Christian literature where like very quickly, I'm like, well, there's a foundational thing you're treating as absolute that I'm that I'm not sure I'm willing to treat as absolute. And it doesn't mean there's nothing for me to learn. There's still tons for me to learn, but I can't always walk that path along with them, you know? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Well, here, let me tell you a bit about my story because I want to set this up too. Yes, please do. I'm sorry. We we no, don't apologize. <laughs> I would love to know more about. Your I want to because I want to find some intersections here, and I think it's pretty interesting. I, I could be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it could be terrible. No, I, so, I'm. I, yeah, I became Christian it. at the age of 15 and attended a, a we called it a Baptistical church. We'd speak in tongues maybe a couple times a month, so it wasn't quite Pentecostal. It was Baptist. Was it scheduled? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was, Wait, no, really? No, it wasn't scheduled. No. Oh, okay. Because Baptists like to schedule things. Yeah, yeah. No, it was like one older lady who would who was the holdover from the original Pentecostal church plant who would occasionally... But you know this, there wasn't often an interpreter. So in that case, so she was kind of yes. quieted down often in, in, to the side, you know, the, the, in, the, in the charismatic uh, uh, sphere of things. So we had a great youth group, you know, really nerdy Christian kids who would debate theology at McDonald's after youth group. So we got kind of kicked out. 
And uh, we hosted what must have been one of the very early Hawk Nelson shows, I think before your time in 2002. Um, oh, wow. That is before I my was time. there because yep. my buddy was in the opening band, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's amazing. In hindsight, there were, there were red flags, you know, in my, I wouldn't say red flags, but things that concerned me. But I, it wasn't until university... I ended up working at this student church called the Embassy in Waterloo, Ontario, where the pastor asked me a question. He pulled me into his office and asked me, he said, Keith, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? And I, had, I was like blindsided by this question. It turns out that he was doing his master's degree and he was raised Catholic. And so he was in doing his master's degree. He was asking some of these questions that were challenging his own upbringing, his own faith, that kind of trajectory. Interesting. You know, so he asked me, he said, you know, what do you think is more important? And of course, you know this, John, the answer is either Jesus or the Bible to any question that you get asked in Sunday school. So I'm like, yeah, well, the Bible is more important than tradition, of course. The Bible, like, what's tradition? It's like this, th- this is what the Pharisees do in the Bible, right? So I said the Bible, and then he goes, well, but who put the Bible together? Like, where did the Bible come from? Wasn't it tradition to put it together? And I was like, I was in my early 20s, and I thought, I, I had to kind of assume the Bible fell out of the sky intact like i don't know about you but i think yeah i think that's a i i don't think i don't think people necessarily like think that with their rational minds but they they behave as if that is true yeah so i i mean i yeah i i went what do you mean like who put it together like where did it come from and so that funny little question sent me on this journey of like i don't know 10 years or more of looking into the history of Christianity, the history of the Bible, the history of the canon, all these kind of questions that uh, of the foundations of my Christian faith, like not the, not like, well, why do I do this or why do why do I speak in tongues and like and or, or not and like and John's church does, it was questions like foundational questions about where the Bible came from and and why we worshipped this way and other people did like this kind of way where there's like a lot of ritual and what ended up happening was as I became Catholic, asking these questions, but I, I look back now at even my youth group days, those early days of being an evangelical Christian, and I, I realized that a lot of these these issues that you encountered, that lots of uh, converts or people who kind of question their faith background encounter, I encountered these in the same way. I mean, I'd, in hindsight, I realized they're kind of a big deal. I mean, I'm thinking of one, when I was, I, I became a Christian at age 15, kind of this experience of, of being saved, um, as you do in the evangelical world. And I, sure. Uh, yes, it's a. It's very much a moment. Yeah, like there's a yeah. lot of emphasis put on that yeah. moment, right? And I yeah. went. I went to early on. I went to this evangelical airport vineyard. You know these places, charismatic church service. Oh, you went to the 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 Toronto airport. Yeah, yeah. Church. So my family was involved. In yeah, that church. well, I, I believe it. I yeah. mean, this is this is yeah. this is the the world, right? And uh, I went there with a friend a couple times, and one of the times I went there. You know, very charismatic. People don't, listeners don't know what these kind of services are like. It's it's a lot of speaking in tongues, a lot of music, a lot of people are falling over, convulsing, all kinds of stuff. It's very, very energetic and a very strange yeah, world. Yeah, if, if you're you not didn't, used to if you grow <laughs> up in it, yeah, if you grow up in it, you think it's normal, and and it's only when you sort of go out into the world that you discover, like I discovered in my twenties that like most Christians aren't used to that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Think you're a little bit crazy. And, right? <laughs> oh yeah. And, 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 and that made me look back and go like, whoa, I was raised in like a, an sort of an unusual situation, yeah. you know? So I'm here and I'm, and I'm maybe like grade 11 or something. And I'm, 
at the front for an altar call. Where we're all going forward to to for whatever reason to rededicate our lives to Christ or to for an anointing or for something. And and I go up there and I remember this one pastor said to me. I think he was quoting from the book of Daniel. I think probably he said, "You know, son, are you having visions and and dreams?" In these end times, God says we'll have visions and we'll dreams. So, what are your visions and dreams? And and I go, I, I, I don't know. I'm not really having any visions or dreams. Yeah. And he said, No, you have to have visions and dreams. Like, what are your visions? Like, think harder. Think, pray harder for it. I said, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And everybody around me is professing visions and dreams, right? And I have nothing. Yeah. And I left that. I left that experience feeling really crappy about myself because I thought it. It, it was implication that if I wasn't having these visions and dreams, I wasn't really a Christian in this kind of stream. And, and right? that you were missing out on yeah. part of what it meant to be truly Christian. Yeah. yeah. So that for me was kind of, was one kind of red flag that at the time I kind of dismissed it as whatever. But looking back now, I can see a, a clear kind of problem there, right? The second was this Calvinism scandal that hit my youth group uh, shortly after this. Some, I don't know, somebody in the youth group got a hold of some of the writings of John Calvin and this predestination scandal hit the youth group. And I think actually our senior pastor had to come in and, and lecture our youth group one night to kind of put down this fire and tell really? everybody what, what, what our denomination believed about this, right? Yeah. But I remember at the time I had friends, good friends who actually walked away from the faith, like in youth group, like left the faith in their like early teens or late teens because they felt like, okay, if this thing is real, if God predestines us to be Christian and, and I don't feel like I'm predestined, well then I must not be Christian. And so they left the faith um, wow. and didn't come back. And to me as a team, was like, this, oh. this can't be right. Like something is wrong here with what, with what we're doing. And again, as I began to, to look into the history of the Bible and how we use the Bible and how we have used it in the course of history and where it came from and these kind of questions about what's going on here, some of these things, like, the, like these two moments in particular, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I, I see why that happened now. I say all this to say, I can 100% affirm your experience here and what's going on. I mean, you had, in my opinion, a front row seat. You're making a livelihood touring as a musician, playing these in, yeah. in churches and Christian contexts and festivals. You had a front row seat to kind of a tour of all these different churches using their Bible in different ways. Yes, I mean, and I, all of them assuming that they was, had the true expression. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I had a little microcosm of this, and when I became Catholic, I realized, like, yeah, you know what, there's a different way of doing this that kind of makes more sense. But you had a kind of a front row seat on this tour of all these different experiences. So, I mean, I, I, get, I get where you're coming from. I mean, I had a small sampling of that, and that was enough to kind of eventually convince me of, like, this isn't working, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I mean, what's interesting is that like, yeah, I did, I did notice over the years of touring and connecting with people, you know, churches and, and church leaders of all different denominations, like there was a pretty wide variation in, and it's not just an expression, but, but the sort of way that people live out their faith in, in everyday life. And, um, and that diversity of expression sort of put me in a place where I couldn't help but ask the question, you know, to myself, like, are we all just sort of making this up as we go? And, um, you know, the, the, the Protestant sort of uh, fixation on the Bible and and the, the way that every individual Christian should be able to sort of, in, you know, 
interpret it for themselves or, or essentially see see the truth in it as if it's plain as day. I mean, it's no wonder there's 30,000 Protestant denominations, right? It's like, it's not surprising. And and I actually, I, I actually got to do a Skype call a couple of weeks ago with a Catholic bishop named Bishop Barron. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. <laughs> um, but uh, he, he did a video ab- about my Instagram post talking about, you know, not believing in God anymore. And, and I reached out to his staff and I was like, Hey, like, I mean, I didn't say it like this, but I was like, Hey, it's 2020. <laughs> like, if you want to talk to me, I'm right here, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and so he, he was very gracious and, um, we didn't, I mean, we didn't put the, we didn't do like a public, uh, thing, but it was just a private call between the two of us. And he was so gracious. And I had a bunch of questions about Catholicism. And and I even said to him, I was like, look, you're a bishop. Like, it's not your job to individually educate like every Protestant up, you know, everybody that's like a Protestant upbringing. But like, if you're willing to have a conversation, like I'd love to learn. Um, And he described um, basically the Catholic leadership or the magisterium or the Pope or whatever you want to call, you know, say as basically like an umpire in matters of uh, that are questioned. So like he said, you know, there's there's these issues that are known as questiones disputantes. So they're like disputed questions. And so he, you know, it's like Protestants argue about these disputed questions in the text. And then when they can't get on the same page, they split and form new denominations. But from what I understand, and maybe you can speak to this because I'm really interested in your perspective. Uh, from what I understand, that Catholics essentially, when there's a question, they they go back to the magisterium or they go back to the Pope or to you know bishops or leadership or whatever, and they go, "What does this mean?" And then they get together and decide what it means, and then all Catholics go, "Fair enough, that's what it means," and and then we just move on. And to me. It, like I, I said this to the bishop. I, I said, "Well, doesn't that kind of, I mean, sound a little bit like don't you worry your pretty little head about it, and we'll we'll do the thinking for you. Like, don't think too much. We'll do that." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I, I can, I could see that criticism, but at some point, also, you have to like someone has to make a call on some of these things, and it might as well might as well be the people that dedicate their lives to trying to understand them." rather than everyone making up their own mind. And I actually thought that was a really good answer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which totally, totally flies in the face of anything I ever believed in in my Protestant upbringing. But it does make a kind of sense, right? Um, so, so maybe you could maybe you could illuminate that that sort of subject a little bit for me as well. <laughs> I don't know if this interview could get any more strange, John. I mean, I'm thinking I'm sitting here <laughs> as a Catholic convert interviewing an evangelical guy I knew from you know from from a band who's deconstructing his faith, who's now quoting a Catholic bishop to me. Uh, you're like schooling me from the words of a Catholic <laughs> bishop. This is like this weird alternate reality. Um, in Latin, in Latin, you, that was very good Latin, by the way. <laughs> well, I mean, I just repeated what he said. That's all. <laughs> I think you know. I think that the, the most interesting thing, and this is, I think you've hit on a really interesting point there, and I'm happy to illuminate this more because this for me is so so. So many people I talk to, and it's funny because you've 
you talk about, you know, this is your livelihood as, as a Christian musician. So potentially, like, you know, deconstructing your faith publicly is this big deal. You you lose your source of income and you, th- that's a major thing. Yeah. It's not a minor thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And funny enough, I've talked to a, a number of like many Anglican priests who've left the priesthood to become Catholic. Many, um, really? Yeah, I, I talked to I talked to Paul McCusker, the guy who did Adventures in Odyssey. Remember that? You know, you must no know this. way. Yeah, yeah, he's a Catholic. I man. grew up with Adventures <laughs> in Odyssey. So you know, he left his he had left his career with with Odyssey to become a Catholic in large part. Wow. So a lot of these people, you know, it's an interesting thing to do that. And I think the one thing that so many of these people say, and maybe, I think maybe Paul put it the best, honestly. Um, I did a big two-parter with him, like four-hour chat with him. It was it was um, incredible, and it's this bizarre feeling because you're right. It, it, in a sense, it seems like this "don't worry your pretty head" kind of thing that we've got to figure it out. Don't don't worry about it. But when you, I think, live it out, here's the reality as I see it, and so many converts I've talked to see it, and I, I want to try and express it as best I can. But it's it's, it's tricky. Yeah, is this idea that okay, as an evangelical, and you would know this. You gotta figure out everything for yourself. You gotta figure out what do I believe on on like creation versus evolution. What do I believe on salvation. What do I believe on gender. What do I believe on um, on baptism. What do I believe on like communion or like how we worship. It's almost like you have to figure it out for yourself by looking at different. You read your own Bible. You kind of look what your denomination says. Like what kind of theologians you might read. I mean, it really is. This feeling I don't of, think most. Yeah, I don't think most people do that though. I, I think I think most people either completely okay, so I'm speaking from the perspective of someone who grew up in the church, yeah. which is not your perspective. So that's the difference. But I think if you grew up in the church and then you sort of like you accept the expression of faith that you're raised in and you just sort of roll with it, or some people reject it entirely. But it's a very small sliver of people that go, "Oh wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna step back from this and then go and try and interpret it all myself." Like, I, I think the number of people that actually do that are quite small. But you're right. If if you don't grow up in a in a Christian environment, then you do sort of start from scratch, which is honestly probably kind of ideal yeah. <laughs> in, in a lot in yeah. a lot of ways yeah. you know i guess i'm thinking so, but like, i interrupt i interrupted you though no. so could please continue on that i guess i'm thinking if you encounter some kind of question that you have to answer that that's a new question right you, you yeah. might right i'm thinking i'm thinking like brian mclaren came up with this book called a new kind of christianity in like the early 2000s i think and and kind of revolutionized how a lot of people understood the christian church to be the evangelical church to be the difference, I mean, I found in becoming Catholic is I can, and I often liken it to like just kind of leaning back into a stream of thought. So by becoming Catholic, you subscribe to, I mean, we have this big thing called the catechism that kind of talks about what Catholics believe. And it's essentially, it came out in, in, in I think, 93 in this form. I'm so glad I know how to pronounce that now because yeah. I've seen it written, but yeah. I haven't heard it spoken. Yeah. So catechism, catechism, great. I was like, catechism. Yeah. 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 I hear you, man. You know, it is, it's a summarization of, of this of stream of essentially 2000 years of thought kind of synthesized and made accessible for the average Catholic to read. But before that, like you would become Catholic and kind of just trust that you're in the stream of thought that, had thought through these things because they had for 2,000 years. And the interesting thing for me is that it wouldn't be like, 
okay, I, I believe this on salvation or I believe this on baptism or this on like this certain issue. It's like, you know what? You know, I'm Catholic. So the Catholic church believes this on this. And it's not like me relying on one, one theologian's thoughts or one denomination's thoughts or like, I was part of a, I'm, I was part of a small non-denominational kind of church plant in our area here. And like, you know, y- you, you work out like your belief statement yourself. You kind of work on these things. Like what do you right. believe? You put it together based on like your reading of the Bible and, and people that you, that you like and theologians you agree with. And you kind of start, with, start from scratch like that. But the difference in, 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 in the Catholic thought, I think like Bishop Barron is saying is you, is you kind of, join this tradition, you lean into this tradition of thought that's 2,000 years old and and that has thought of things for a long time. And like you said, at some point, people have to make decisions on these things. So it's not as if, it's not as if it's like, well, we decided this on this thing just now, you know, and this is what we believe now. It's no, no, you're, you're entering a stream of thought that's, that's, that's ancient. And I think the crazy thing is, I mean, and the Catholic Church is audacious in this, I think, is that they they say that they were given the authority by Christ, like in and and point to the New Testament, point to the Gospels, where Christ said, like, here's the authority to bind and loose. Give it to the apostles. The apostles. I mean, Bishop Barron, who you talked to, would say that he's a successor of the apostles, which is kind of yeah, yeah. really audacious and crazy. It's super, for sure audacious, but also it's sort of like, I mean, in the Protestant churches I grew up in. The, they would sort of say, like, we are all the successors of the apostles. And I think that that sort of houses the the one of the differences between Catholicism and Protestantism, right? It's like it's like Catholicism sort of I mean, and please correct me if I'm if you feel like I'm getting this wrong. Because my perceptions are very clouded by like a whole lifetime of being in the Protestant tradition and looking over at the Catholics over there, you know? So, but, but I grew up in a tradition where it's basically like, like we are the Royal priesthood, right? Like if you're a believer in Jesus, then you are a minister. You are a priest. You are, I mean, you're not literally a priest, but it's like you, you, you wear the mantle of the apostles as much as the apostles did. If you're a believer in Jesus, wherein whereas in Catholicism, that mantle seems to be somewhat set apart for people who have dedicated their lives to it in a very specific way, such as like the clergy and 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 that. Um, is that fair to say? Do you think? Or yeah, well, you know what the interesting thing is this. So we have we have this this uh, this priesthood in Catholicism, and we're all part of the priesthood. But then, and this goes back again to the to the what we see in the New Testament, which is kind of crazy because I'd read it, you read it, and and I don't know, these things never stood out to me when I read this as an evangelical. These were these things that just kind of, I don't know, glossed over or I didn't didn't pick up on, but there are priests and deacons and bishops in the New Testament. Like, there are these words. Yeah. And funny enough, there, there are often translated in different ways in certain, in certain, so I wouldn't have necessarily read the translations that are super faithful to what the Greek actually says. It sure, may be translated sure, as, yeah. like, as elder or or what or what have you. But these the actual words in the New Testament are the same words that are used now in the Catholic Church for deacon and priest and bishop. And we are all priests in 
in Christ. Like you say, this royal priesthood. And that's true for the Catholic Church, too. That's a fundamental part of what it means to be a Catholic. Um, because at Mass, we all bring our own like sacrifice, in a sense, right? But then, based on, actually, the Old Testament priesthood, which blows, blew my mind when I realized this, based on the Old Testament priesthood, this New Testament priesthood that starts in the New Testament began and, uh, and, and kind of carries on. And so we are all priests, but then in a special way, there are these priests, like in the Old Testament, set apart to do things like break the bread or like to teach or to minister to the poor. So it's this crazy, like, and this is one of those things that blew my mind to realize, John, because it's in the Bible, it's in the New Testament, but somehow when we see, and this is probably true for you too, when we see the, the early Christians in like, acts meeting and breaking bread i was like oh dudes are having lunch that's really cool right 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 yeah exactly what i what i have learned as i became catholic is there's like this rich old testament kind of thing being hinted at here and the term like breaking of bread was a clearly symbolic um like link back to what the old testament priests would have done as part of their worship. So it wasn't like the mm. New Testament church was getting together and like having subs or something like I right. imagine they were doing, right? Subway. Th- this was a description of like an early worship service. And then what was crazier for me is that, like, did you know there are these guys called the early church fathers? Have you heard of these guys? Because <laughs> for me, uh, that, not, that blew my not mind. Not until like a, <laughs> yeah, not until a year ago. Uh, not, not until sort of the middle of this deconstruction process did I even hear about the early church fathers or the desert fathers or or anything like that and and i was exposed to some of some of that history by um richard Rohr, and and i and i'm fascinated by richard Rohr, and i think a lot of sort of uh people maybe on the more liberal spectrum of christianity are obsessed with richard Rohr, and and i (laughs) i have certainly been very intrigued um and and learned a lot from you know reading him and 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 feeling like I maybe like understand forty percent of what he says. <laughs> well, this, you know, you know that for me was it was kind of insane to to realize that, and I think I think you're in the same boat. We're we're from a very similar stream of evangelical Christianity. I mean, that there were these guys. Because I went to I went to Sunday school classes, these adult Sunday school classes, to learn about the early church, and it was acts, it was the acts, and that was it. Like like that's there's nothing yeah. beyond that, right? The Bible was written, and nothing else was written after that until here we are today. Yeah, there's this whole there's this whole like so that idea of the breaking of the bread and the idea of priests and bishops and deacons. It begins in the New Testament, but immediately afterwards it continues, and and in all these writings of the early church fathers that come right after like, like apostles of the apostles and a lot of the yeah. a lot of these cases these guys are writing about what the church looks like and how it operates and you well, see and that, some of them wrote a lot a lot like a lot. like origin origin he he wrote <laughs> like a staggering amount yeah and and the crazy thing is what i realized is that early church didn't look anything like what my church looked like as a non-denominational mm. christian I mean, we could maybe, like, I don't know, <laughs> we had communion once a month, and we sang songs, which we see happening in, in Acts, and there was preaching, we see Peter preaching in Acts, but if you dig down 
a little bit below the surface, and when I did, and begin to re- read things that are following Acts, you realize like this church like does a lot of things that are kind of wacky, and who else does this kind of wacky stuff? And then I realized, well, the, actually, the Catholics kind of still do this, and they're audacious enough to claim that they're actually successors in this first original church, which I don't know. I, 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 it's a, a very fundamentally different way of looking at it because I never was ever part of a church that claimed to, you know, be, be succeed in that kind of authority or be able to teach with that yeah. kind of authority that the Catholic yeah. church does. So like when I say, and this, this is a, a tying a bow in a very big loop here. I don't know. When I say that it's no, almost, it's, it's almost like leaning into a stream of thought that's existed for 2000 years. You have to, of course, and I came to this point, recognize and agree with what the church says that it is. Like you have to go, okay, you guys say that you're the church that Jesus founded that comes down through the apostles. You have to agree to that. Like if you don't agree to that, then it's all mumbo jumbo. But for me, right. once, for me, once I accepted that point, I'm like, you know what? If that is true, and to me it looked like it was, then everything else they say is must be true. And I'm okay with entering that stream of thought, not to like not to abandon my duty to like figure it all out, but to be like, you know what? If you guys are who you say you are, and this is really what it says that it is, and made a lot of sense to me, then I'm okay with relaxing into this tradition and, yes. and, and being able to not have to like debate all these small little points. And of course there are tons of debates in the Catholic church. Theologians are sure, thinking yeah. of new things, but I want to get to this too in a second. The idea of God, like, so sure. the idea of God is a huge thing, right? And I realize sure. that that every evangelical denomination essentially has a different view of what of who God is. And we're yes, all and, I and, would agree and with they that. can be radically different, right? The problem of evil yep. can be can be understood in, in, in major ways based on, on on how you understand who God is, right? But for the Catholic Church, I can look in the catechism and maybe not all Catholics, surely not not all Catholics, for sure not all Catholics, because not all Catholics are are know their faith as well as they should, like me included. I mean, it's not as if all Catholics have all the answers to everything, sure. but I can know what the Catholic Church says who God is. I can know that like objectively, looking at the Catechism, right? So even if all Catholics don't understand that mm-hmm. entirely, it is yeah. written. It is written somewhere what we believe. So let me right versus like yeah. That makes sense. This is what it <laughs> yes, this is what it this is what it feels like to me and and it's all a matter of perspective. It it feels to me that it, if you're a Catholic to some degree you're putting your faith in uh in the church or in this tradition or in leadership. You're it, it's almost like it's almost like going directly to God and Jesus is is complicated and hard and confusing. So, and and I'm probably not explaining this great, but like, but Catholicism is like sort of a, a conduit. So it seems to me that like with with Catholic thought, there's this. I mean, Protestants would look at it sometimes as like there's a barrier in between you and God that like you can't go directly to God. You have to go through the church or through the saints or, you know, through, through these various processes. And it's like, it's almost like those people connect those, those people in institutions connect to God and you connect to them. And therefore you connect to God by proxy almost. 
but in the Protestant tradition, they would, you know, they would say like, oh no, you, you get to commune directly with God and that's better. But based on kind of where I'm at now and also having conversations with Catholics like yourself, I actually have started to see that as a feature, not a bug because it's, (laughs) because it's like you said, it's like, it's like, I mean, you're, you're, you're participating in a tradition that goes back thousands of years. And, um, and the people that are sort of setting the standards of Catholic or Christian theology, like they're people that are very thoughtful um, and and they're honoring traditions that go back all the way back to the early church fathers. And 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 I actually am not surprised that there's a movement of evangelicals back to Catholicism for that reason, because I feel like in the 90s there was this sort of like, I mean, do you remember the idea of like it's cool to have church in a warehouse, right? It's like, oh, we're going to do church in a warehouse. We're edgy and cool, and we don't need any of that tradition. And and I also like I don't know if you heard this growing up but like the idea of it's not religion it's it's relationship. Oh yeah. And so it's like I actually I actually think that that phrase can really be a problem because it sort of is implied in that phrase that religion is bad, right? And that relationship with Jesus is superior to religion. Well, relationship with Jesus is such a squishy idea. It can be defined any number of ways. I mean like I had an Uber driver in Hawaii that that uh, that prays light grids around the world to protect the world from evil spirits. She goes up to mountains and prays like these light grids, and and you know, if if you're not anchored in a tradition, like you could just say, hey, yeah, that's I believe that is true. So so I've come to really appreciate a lot about Catholicism and it doesn't surprise me that people like yourself or other people our age um, that came up in the sort of churches that we came up in, it doesn't surprise me that there's a movement towards wanting to be rooted in something deeper, you know, which is what Catholicism feels like to me. It's like, you know, I I remember uh, going to these Sunday night services in Toronto when I was a teenager and it wasn't a Catholic uh, church or a, a Catholic movement, but it, they met in a Catholic uh, cathedral. And um, there was such an honoring of tradition uh, and and the, the length, the, the distance, how far back these traditions go that I had not experienced growing up, that that was really meaningful to me. And and so it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that people are moving in that direction. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you talk about it being this, because I would have thought the same thing as you. The Catholic Church is this kind of thing in the way of directly talking to God or something, yeah, it's right? Like medi- it's like a mediating force. Yeah, 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 which is interesting. I mean, the crazy thing for me is the, the way the, the church sees itself is like, yeah, well, we kind of are. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, and and you've seen this in evangelical Christianity, and I've seen this too, and this is one of those big questions that I had that confused me. If we all can look at the same passage of scripture and come to all kinds of different conclusions about about what that means, well, that begs the question, like, is this what God intended for us to do? If there is a God, did, did he give us this book and want us right. to argue about this? Or does there have to be a force that that says this is what it means? 
we say this because God gave us the authority to say this. And that thing needs like a physical space to be in, right? One of the crazy things that, that I struggled with is this passage in Matthew where Jesus says, if you and your brother are in dispute and there's an argument, bring it to the church. And if the church can't solve it, like you're out of the church, right? This is kind of like excommunication kind of idea. Sure, um, okay, yeah. They talks about, right? And I, and I remember bringing that passage to my, my Pentecostal pastor and I said, what does this mean? Because if I don't like how you're doing something in this church, I can just go to the church down the street. So what did Jesus mean when he said the church? Like that can't be what we have here because we're all different churches. And if I don't like your church, I can just start a new one. And his yeah. answer was kind of like, well, I don't know. But the answer I, I kind of came to, and this is the Catholic answer, was, well, no, there is a church. And it's made up of the bishops. And it's the church that is celebrating the mass, like what Jesus did in the Last Supper in the upper room. This is the church, and so there, and and it makes sense that way. The Catholic Church says because there has to be a way of knowing if you're in or if you're out, if you're making good choices and following the framework that God set, or or if you're not. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. It's not getting in the way of my relationship with Jesus. It's not it's, it was it wasn't it didn't force me to have to go to a certain place to pray or right put things right. in the way. It was a way of helping me to know that. Yeah, I'm doing things right. And you think about like people for the first like thousand plus years of Christianity who couldn't read, who couldn't right. read the Bible for themselves, who didn't know how to worship God apart from, and of course there are all kinds of crappy, terrible things that the church has done in history. And the church would not shy away from saying like, yeah, there's been a lot of crap. But on the flip side, like people wouldn't know how to worship if there wasn't some kind of thing telling them what to do because they couldn't read, for example. Right. right. So it's, it's this interesting, and I, I get that argument. That's what I, what I would have heard too, right? That it's in the way of these things. Like, I maybe mean, you've heard this, that Catholic churches chained the Bible down so nobody could read them. I, I've heard that all yeah. the time. And, and the flip side of that is, yeah, they were chained down because they cost thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to make before the printing press. And they were chained there so that on a Sunday... Like yokels, they like would you, be there. Yeah, yokels like you and I could come and hear a priest read from that Bible, and it was still there. It wasn't like stolen and sold in the black market. So I mean, it's it's really interesting uh, dynamic. I, I I don't know. So I'm curious. Like, there's an aspect of this that that I'd be curious to get your your thoughts on. Yeah. Um, I and this is different for everyone. So and also it's different in Canada and the U.S. too. So. I feel like in Canada, and tell me if you if you feel the same way. I feel like in Canada, there's this sense that if you if you in public, you know, say that you're a Christian, that's actually saying something because it's it's a fairly secular society, and and there's a danger that people will immediately think that you're intolerant or that you're um you know like you're against you know all. All, they'll make a bunch of presuppositions about your positions and they may feel that you're wrong about a bunch of things just by very nature of finding out that you're Christian. In most of the U.S., and not everywhere, and, and I live in California, so not, not all places here, but in a lot of the U.S., if you were to say, I'm a Christian, it's sort of a nothing statement. It's sort of like, a like oh, okay, like, yeah, like, so am I. Like, I'm not... Muslim, so I guess I'm Christian, you know, right? Or like I go to church, you know, every once in a while. So yeah, I'm a Christian. And 
um, that was not the type of Christianity that I grew up in. I was in like, we were going to church. I mean, church was our life. And I went to a Christian school that was at the church and like all of our social engagements with people from the church. It's just like that. The church really was the center of our life. And part of that is that I was the pastor's kid. So I'm sure that wasn't everyone's experience to the degree that that it was mine. But I've noticed, it seems to me that in the Catholic tradition, there's a much more blended perception of like, and again, totally speak to this and correct me on this, but it seems to me that the Catholic perspective is more about these are the beliefs that we hold as a faith tradition, and we walk them out in the world. We walk them out in our lives in the world. Whereas like how I grew up was more like we avoid the world and we stick to our circle um, of people that believe what we believe because people outside of this are dangerous. They don't have the Lord you know, they, you know, it was this very like separate us versus them thing. Whereas like all the Catholics I know are much more like, oh no, no, this is what I believe. And I walk it out in everyday life. And would you say there's something to that? Or or maybe you could comment on that. You know, the interesting thing, and I have a weird perspective as a convert, um, because I wasn't raised Catholic. There's this there's this dynamic and there's these things called the sacraments, right? Which are mm-hmm. kind of the life force of the church. And what we believe is that, and this made a lot of sense to me when I discovered this, I was like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. <laughs> is that based on even how we see God work in the Old Testament in physical ways, a pillar of, of fire and smoke, like this manna from the sky, this tabernacle that you make and build, these things you do. The Catholic church says, yeah, that, you know, that kind of kept going. And so the God we understand who he is, made these things that we do to express our faith. So on a Sunday morning, or even daily, if you want to go to Mass daily, you go to Mass and you receive the Eucharist, which, crazy enough, we believe actually is Jesus, which is a whole other discussion. Like it's, it's So transubstantiation, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a mind-blowing yeah. discussion. I've, I've read a bit about it. Based based on, like this, this is a whole, a whole rabbit trail, John, but like, we were the guys, maybe you're the same way, I think you are, who like, we read our Bible literally, literally, like, this is like, you know, we read it like plain sense, right, like, everyone can understand right. it. We get to John 6, where, where Jesus says, you must eat my flesh, you must gnaw my flesh, and thousands of people leave, because it was too challenging. He doesn't correct himself, doesn't say, guys, I was just speaking symbolically, I was just speaking metaphorically, like, just kidding, uh, go have a sub. You know, Catholics take that literally, as like, no, he meant what he said. And so this thing we celebrate in communion actually becomes Jesus, which is crazy. But so I was surprised to learn that Catholics took were the more literal of the Christians in that context. In that, like that blew in that my case, mind. Yes. That blew my mind. And that does <laughs> that does blow my mind. So, so that's a whole other aside, though. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, before we leave this one, before we move on from from that idea, I want to ask you: Do like really? Do you really believe that when you take communion or the Eucharist as, as Catholics call it. I grew up with it being called communion, but yeah, same, when you yeah. take the Eucharist, you really, you really believe it transforms miraculously into the body and the blood of Jesus. John, I have eaten Jesus. <laughs> See, that is, that's hard for me, man. That's a, it's, that's a hurdle. 
It's it's definitely you know what this is the thing and this is what the, what the sacraments are are all about. I mean, it's the difference between going through Christianity. I think this, I think this is the difference. Back to your question, I think originally this is the difference between Catholics and Christians, maybe in the world. In evangelical Christianity, I would have read my Bible and that was kind of what I did. You know, went to church on a Sunday. I prayed. I went. I went to. I I did worship, which of course is what we call worship in the Catholic Church is totally different than what worship sure. music is as evangelicals. That's a whole other conversation again. But I did those things and I was, I was, you know, walking with Christ, I would say, or whatever, as a Christian doing those things. But then as a Catholic, like, yes, you have those elements. So we're supposed to read our Bible. We're supposed to, you know, follow the Ten Commandments and live virtuously and try and, 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 and pray and try and, help people and put God first in things that we're doing. All those things are true. But then you have these things called the sacraments, like the Eucharist, that that the church believes and has believed this. You can look at documents from 100 AD where the Mass is described like in detail, the same way it is now, which is mind-blowing. The church believes that doing those things actually gives you like tangible grace. So like you, you receive the mm. Eucharist, you go to confession, you, when you're baptized, when you're confirmed, when you do these things, actual tangible grace is given to you. And even if you can't feel it or sense it, like we're, we're both from a, a charismatic like background. So the idea of not like emotionally <laughs> feeling something is like maybe kind of foreign. Like we're used to like, you know, the feelings coming yeah. right uh-huh. but even if i don't feel like going to mass that sunday was efficacious or like built me up even if the the sermon like totally stank and like the kids were screaming the entire time and <laughs> it was like a mess i can know that like no like logically like objectively something happened there and i can mm. and i can walk out knowing that and it's not like a like a gas pump where like oh, i got my like four liters or like i guess gallons for you you expat uh, yeah, sorry. Working in leaders still up here. It's old fashioned. <laughs> well, you and the rest of the world, to be fair. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. But you know, it's this, it's not like I'm feeling like a gas tank up, but it is this objective reality of knowing that, yes, I've done these things. So even if I can't feel it, God has given me these things to then live out my life. So I think that's a difference of, of yeah why you might see Catholics kind of living out in the world. It's also tons of bad Catholics who don't know their, who don't know their, their, their faith at all. And those are the guys that I saw in high school. Like I always didn't sure. joke, joke, like you wanted to get the best drugs, go to the Catholic high school down the street. Cause those right. guys didn't know. <laughs> I actually like, remember hearing you know, that. Yeah. You know what? Like in the and punk I, rock scene, those were the guys yeah. who partied the hardest were the Catholic guys. I, right? Yeah. <laughs> I work in, uh, I do film work now and, um, I, I don't really, I don't do weddings really, but I have a, a number of friends that do wedding film, uh, work. And I've, I've helped them shoot weddings once or twice if they were in a pinch for, you know, like someone to help them shoot or whatever. And, and I did a Catholic wedding and, and, and the Catholic, the Catholic wedding was the, the ceremony was the most traditional ceremony I'd ever been a part of, but the reception was the most outrageous party (laughs) I had ever been a part of. And so I, I just, I, I commented on it casually just to the other guys I was working with. Like, I was like, I, I was like, first off, I love this party. This is this is fantastic. I'm so intrigued by the juxtaposition of this very traditional, very um, honoring of uh, of 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 the tradition. Very, very 
religious, uh, meaningful ceremony juxtaposed with this absolute rager of a reception. <laughs> and, and they were, they immediately said, they're like, Oh yeah, most Catholic weddings are this way. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Like that's, that's great. Um, and, and yeah, man, I, I, I definitely think my perception of Catholicism has for, has, has always been colored by the fact that I grew up in a tradition that sort of looked at Catholicism as like, oh, that's like the old way yeah. and we are the, and we are the new way. And sort of like anyone, anytime anyone says we are the new something or other, it's always implied that it's better. Right. I mean, so, so, I mean, yeah, I, in the last two months, I, I mean, I have, I've had conversations with Catholics. I have had conversations with Lutherans. I've had conversations with Presbyterians, um, with, you know, much more charismatic Christians. I've had conversations with atheists, with Muslims, with Buddhists, um, with, uh, unfortunately, ex-Hindu. I'm yet to speak to actual... It's harder to pin down a, a, someone who's really dedicated hin- uh, into Hinduism, at least in my circles. So <laughs> maybe you can forward me to someone there. But, um, but it seems to me that for for people that grew up in a very like 90s edgy i consider it like a 90s edgy expression of of anything there's a there's a desire to find something that's rooted and um that has a history and and even now like you know when i think about the moments where i feel like maybe i'm I'm touching on something that could be described as God's presence. They tend to be moments with my kids. Um, if I'm if I'm getting some one-on-one time with my son or my daughter, um, and we're just having like a beautiful moment, and I I sort of I sometimes become aware of like everything that transpired in order to get us to this moment. Right? It's like I. I'm looking at the face of my daughter and she's a little bit me and she's a little bit my wife, you know, and she's a little bit my, my mother-in-law and she's a little bit my mother and she's a little bit my father and she's a little bit my father-in-law and she's a little bit my grandfather and, and, and my great grandfather and my great, great, great grandmother. And, and you just go back and back and back and back. And you realize that like, we aren't just us. We are, we are the the current iteration of a story, a, a, a lineage, a journey that's ancient. Um, and there's something beautiful and profound about that. And and that whole way of thinking is something that I just never had in charismatic Christianity. And it's something that Catholicism touches on, right? And maybe more than touches on, actually, like really leans on heavily. And 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 i find that to be really really beautiful and i've had moments where i'm like well maybe i should just be a catholic <laughs> you know and then and then inevitably i sort of i find a a sort of uh, an aspect of catholicism that i'm like oh i don't know i don't know about that one <laughs> you know so but i'm still processing and going like well you know i'm i have a lot to learn still um but uh yeah i mean like w- w- what does what does your faith look like in your 
day-to-day life. I mean, obviously you have a podcast about it, so it's very meaningful to you. Um, But like when it comes to your relationship with your family and, you know, the traditions, you know, like when, or, you know, mass or all all of those things, like how does, how does that play out in your life with, with your, you know, with your family and, and, and for you? Oh, is it supposed to? I've been doing this whole thing wrong. (laughs) (laughs) For many Catholics, it might not. Sure. The the crazy thing, the crazy thing is, I mean, I'm a convert. My wife converted about a year after me. Um, So you were married already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so was that was was that difficult? Oh, it was crazy, John. It was a terrible experience. Um, Yeah, I'm one of these guys who kind of internalizes things. So I'd spent I'd spent like a couple of years. I mean. I mentioned that Protestant pastor, then years and years go by after that first question is asked. And I was kind of, you know, I would be up, I'd be up to like two or three in the morning on YouTube looking at like Catholic lectures and stuff, like asking these questions. And I kind of came to my wife way too late in the game and said like, Hey, I'm thinking of becoming Catholic. You had already processed it. I really had processed it all. Right. And so we were like deeply involved in our, in our non-denominational church. We'd met in the student church um, got married by the pastor who led that church, joined like his family church. And so we were deeply embedded in this church. But this journey I was on, I mean, I got to a point where, and you'll appreciate this, I was I was cooling a pot of soup in the snow, in a snowbank behind our house. Because I'd <laughs> I'd made this I'd made the soup. It was too oh, hot to put it in the blender. <laughs> that's painfully Canadian, man. Do you do you miss it? <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't for hey, you a long can't, time. You can't cool soup in in the ocean, man. No, no, I sure can't. Mm. Uh, but, uh, dude, it's it's weird right now not being able to go home and yeah. see my family in Canada is is really. I've actually never missed Canada more than I do right now. Oh, well, it's, to some to some degree, it's the it's the whole like, as soon as someone tells you you can't have something, that's when you want it more than ever. Yeah. So I always, I always tell people, if you want your kids to read the Bible, prohibit it, you know, <laughs> yeah. tell them, tell them the Bible is the only book you're not allowed to read. Yeah. And that pretty much guarantees they'll read it. That's yeah. actually a pretty good, that's a, you're, you're, you're onto something there. I think you should do a kid yeah. Bible studies for kids where it's just you saying, yeah. don't read the Bible guys. Don't read and the Bible. The whole video. And then there's, can. yeah, there's, I mean, there's like that's pretty great. grown up adult, adult things in there that, um, that are very powerful and yeah. meaningful. And so you probably don't want to mess with that. Like that wouldn't interest <laughs> you at all. So there I am cooling a pot of soup in the snow, okay? And I couldn't, I couldn't, it was too hot to blend. I had to cool it down first. And I'm like, you know what? I've read all these things. I've looked at the history. I've studied these things. I really came to like intellectually agree with the Catholic Church on a lot of things. And a lot of it was just history, like shockingly. It was just reading the timeline of what happened when and why it happened. Like from a pretty objective sources. I read some Anglican sources. They're like, yeah, you know what? The, The church was like this and like, you know, we left it kind of. I mean, we're not going to pretend we didn't. And I'm out there in the snow and I'm like, you know what? I got to just become Catholic. And I told my wife kind of that night, it was a firestorm. Like it was like, it, it was, was terrible. Bad. It was bad. It was really bad. Yeah. But then, and I, and I joke that this was kind of the first time that I, and this will sound weird to you, man. I'm sorry. But it was the first time that I asked Mary to pray for me. I'm like, you know what? I don't know what about this thing, but I'm going to just go ahead and just try this. So I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Uh, but like, if you're real, if you're alive in heaven, like the Catholic Church says you are, and you can pray for people down here, like, can you just pray for me? Like, ask Jesus, you know, on my behalf. 
uh, you know, to, to help the situation. And, and the, the next morning my wife woke me up and kind of said, and kind of said, you know what? I was, I spent the night like, cause we didn't sleep in the same room that night, John. Oh, was that bad? <laughs> it was bad. Oh, but she wow. came back and said like, look, I, I read all this stuff about the Catholic church and like, you know what? Like, I think like what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And I was like, Oh, wow. Whoa. Like my first like heathen, like, you know, totally what I would have considered like idolatrous type sure. prayer to like, you know, this dead person. And I and actually, th- it was, yeah, it was wild. It was wild. I, I but, think praying to saints and ancestors and stuff. I actually think that's part of the Catholic tradition that I think is beautiful. And I think, I think that the Protestant church is missing out by, by sort of just, declaring declaring that arbitrarily like false because yeah, it's like I, <laughs> there's plenty of things there's plenty of things that protestants hold dear that are not you know any more substantiated by scripture than that is so yeah. so i'm I just w- like as far as traditions go <laughs> that's actually a pretty like a pretty cool one i was scandalized to realize that there was like this giant period of these crazy christians doing nutso things i love like the x-files man so i love these crazy weird like <laughs> yeah weird things like you tell me there were saints that could like walk through walls and like could yeah. levitate and could be in two places at once and well like, and you have magdalene the dragon slayer right or not uh not not magdalene was it magdalene one of the saints is called something the dragon slayer, right? I'm sure. I'm sure. There's, there's, I mean, we have guys, yeah, that could like literally, and, and then this is what got me. This is a total tangent from the question that you asked me, but. No, sure, sure. Go for it. What got me was this, this, this evangelical kind of question that, okay, so if there are like seriously miracles, like things that science has been like, yeah, we can't explain this. I have this big book, like it's like. 700 pages written by like an atheist doctor of all these medical miracles that, that can't be explained by science as we know it right now, but are attributed to, to, to prayers to the saints. So somebody asking a Whoa. saint, uh, asking a saint to pray for them and then God healing them or whatever. And I was like, as an evangelical, I was like, okay, so if, if this is really happening, like this, this must be legit because like, like Satan can't do like a miracle like that, can he? And heal a person like so. So what's happening? Is there something to this like idea of of dead people being able to pray for us? That's what got me on this mm. whole saint thing. I was like, you know what? That's a weird. I can't explain that otherwise. If if these things are actually legit, and if God is real, and these miracles are happening, and not some kind of massive hoax on like a on like an international scale, something is something is doing that. And why would God heal a guy's like grow back a guy's leg? After praying, after praying to so and so saint, if that wasn't legit, God wouldn't be like, "Ah, oh, well, you're halfway right." Yeah, and I'll, and I'll make and I'll confuse you further by answering that prayer and healing this guy. I was like, "Oh, this is like, I don't know." It 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 kind of blew my mind to think that. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, you you <laughs> your question was, "How do we live it out?" And I mean, yeah, that's one, of, that's one of the ways. I mean, the crazy thing that, like you say, we've lost in in Protestant Christianity is this tradition of the saints. So there's like, there's, there's saint feast days. There's a whole like liturgical rhythm you can live in as a Catholic where certain days mean certain things and certain saints live that day. And so you do certain things on that day. And you, if you go to mass that day, there's certain readings and you pray the, the daily prayers of the church. There's certain like references to those things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's honestly, I've been, I've been a Catholic for, I think six years now, not a long, long time. 
And there's just thousands of different ways of being Catholic. Like right. the rosary is that typical way that you see people in the Western church, Western Catholic church. Is the being, rosary a Western Catholic. thing? It is. It is. Because there's a whole other stream of Catholicism in the Eastern churches that looks totally different than what it looks here. Huh. And, and some of those things aren't even on the, are, are not as widely done as they are here. Because there's, sure. there's just so many ways of being Catholic. So like, for example, you know, I'd, I'd be a, a Pentecostal. I go to church on, on Sunday and then Wednesday and then Friday and then Sunday night and then, you know, whatever. Sure. You know, you if know you're this. dedicated, yeah. Yeah, and we'd, we'd worship a certain way. We'd, we'd pray a certain way. We'd say, yes, Lord, a lot. Or we'd say, like, you know, the, those, those things we say. It's all spontaneous and we do certain right. things. And, but it kind of looked the same wherever you went in, like, the Pentecostal world. Where, whereas in the Catholic world, there's just so many different ways of being Catholic. Like there's different prayer ways I can pray in a certain day, different things I can do, different things I can like the rosary I can I can touch and feel and, and different just expressions. You have you have devotions to certain saints. So like certain saints left behind certain ways of being Catholic. So that's why there's so many different kinds of like monks and nuns right, and different right. religious orders. Because they follow like one certain saint's way of doing things that really right. and, resonates you know, with them, right? Yeah, and even like Richard Rohr, who who is someone yeah. that has meant a lot to me, you know, he's a Franciscan you know, and, you know, St. Francis of Assisi is like a big deal in his, yeah. you know, yeah. in, his, in his tradition. Um, and I, I find that really interesting. And I would I would actually love to go to Italy and go to Assisi and um, like experience, you know, I'm not I'm not sure if you're familiar. You, you probably are somewhat with Michael Gunger and the liturgists and stuff. And so he describes having this experience there that was just, you know, transcendent. Um, and uh, yeah, I I. I think overall, the place I find myself in now is is basically that like when I got to that place where of like I'm not sure God is real, and I I think that it's possible that we've just been making it up this whole time. You know, when I got to that place and I really allowed myself to believe that God isn't real. Uh, and I lived in that place for a while, and and I was I really experienced some depression, um, pretty heavy. I started going to therapy. Um, you know, I think there's this perception sometimes that like people who walk away from Christianity do so like joyfully because they're like, sweet, I get to go do some sinning, you know. <laughs> and and it wasn't that for me at all. It was like it was really disruptive to my life, and it was really. Uh, scary and 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 disorienting um but but i kind of got to this place where i'm like okay i'm ready to publicly say i don't i don't believe this stuff and the almost the minute i did it immediately i felt my mind sort of go to this place of like okay well now what because you know like now how do you live your life what do you value? What do you base your life on? And I found myself more than ever drawn to drawn to um, nonprofit work and and wanting, you know, because I, I I've I've done a couple video projects that involved nonprofits and saw some got a, a you know sort of a sampling of some of the suffering of humanity, and it's actually part of what caused me to really question God and go like, God, where are you in this? You know, like, 
how can you be real and loving and powerful and then let this happen? And, you know, um, but I found myself motivated to be like, well, it bothers me, you know, and if I'm not sure God is real, then if the suffering that I see in the world bothers me, then then what am I going to do about it? And so I, I, the last few months, I've gotten a lot more involved, both time-wise and financially, in, in uh, various nonprofits that, that do work both here locally in San Diego and uh, around the world. And I found that really, really meaningful. And so I've got to sort of ask the question, if if suffering bothers me, why does it bother me? And it's sort of like the reverse problem of evil, right? It's sort of like the problem of evil is like how how could God be all powerful and all loving if there's so much suffering in the world? And that's sort of the traditional problem of evil or suffering or whatever. But sort of for me now, my re- reverse problem of evil is like, well, if God's not real and if we're all just evolved animals, why does suffering bother me? Because if God's not real and there's no higher authority, there's no higher morality, if we're not called to anything beyond ourselves, then why should it bother me to see people suffer? And that's a question that I've been digging around in for a few months now. And, um, and, you know, sort of wondering, well, what's, what's that about? Um, and wanting it's, it's that among other issues are leading me to this place of like, I'm not sure how practical it is to do away with God altogether, because I think most people on some level and myself included. I would include myself in this. Most people on some level live their lives as if God exists. Or maybe that's not the right way to say it, but they they live their life as if there is some sort of higher power or bigger story or we're called to something more. I think, you know, anytime you care about the suffering of someone else, you're believing something like that. Um, If you believe in human rights, it's like, well, where do you imagine those rights come from? You know, if you believe human beings have intrinsic value, then like, where do you think that comes from? Um, and, and so those questions, those questions have been right at the center of my thinking recently. And, and sort of, they're the reason why I, I, I find myself continuing to engage with Christians and, 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 you know, people that are religious in other faiths too, and just asking questions and going like, what, what's going on here? You know, <laughs> like, like there's, there's something going on in humanity that's deep, that's both higher than us and deeper than us at the same time. And, and, and I want to know more about what that is. And if, if that ends up leading me back to believing in God in some way, then I will, I welcome that, you know, I'm, I can't say that I'm there yet, but I'm, I'm closer than I was three months ago. That's for sure. <laughs> Those are, I mean, yeah, I hear you. Those are the huge questions, right? I yeah. Mean, that's, <laughs> and you're asking them. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing for me is like, I, I'd be curious to know when, you know, at, at some point before you die, or maybe you'll, <laughs> maybe you'll, maybe you'll die in indecision, but I'm, I'm curious to know like what, if you come back to a place 
of believing in God, how different that, because this goes back to the views of God, right? How we understand yeah, God, yeah. like yeah. how different that, that picture of God might be because we're, we're like you said, it's we certainly we, going to be different, right? Yeah, we inherit, sure. we inherit these, these views of God based on maybe what we're born into, or for my case, what I kind of found as a teenager, but they're, they're informed by all kinds of crazy ideas, right? Yes. I mean, the, and, just on the problem of evil, this is a whole other topic we can't really get into because we're going long as we it can, is. I, I don't oh, dude, we, forever, could, but. we could do a whole podcast on the problem of evil. You it, could do a whole it, it, series of podcasts. Well, this on. is the the wild thing is it's been, it, this is this is the fundamental problem of Christianity that is wrestled with since the beginning of of yeah. of, of Christian thought. It's, it's mm-hmm. a, it, even before that. I mean, even even in 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 the Jewish world, this was an issue to wrestle with. Even I mean, it's, it's the oldest problem in the world. But well, I, you look at you look at Adam and Eve, right? The story of Adam and Eve, yeah. and and there's a fracture there. Um, there's a separation that seems to occur between God and man. Um, you know, when they first experience sin, and in a way, it's sort of like I'm super intrigued by this this. Um, psychology that I've sort of stumbled upon. And I'm trying to remember what I read to indicate this, but basically I think it was Peter Rollins actually. Um, But he talks about when you're a child, when you're an infant, you actually don't know where yourself is. Like you're, you don't have an awareness of your sense of self. So when you're, when you're curled up with your mother or whatever, or you're breastfeeding or whatever, like you're not necessarily aware of where you end and your mother begins, you know, when you're, when you're like days old. Right. But eventually you develop an awareness of like, no, this is me and that's her. And you experience uh, the, the awareness of your sense of self for the first time. And, and that's sort of analogous to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Where they, they, they experience self-consciousness where they discover they're naked they they experience separation from God in the same way that y- you experience separation from your mother when you have this realization. And you literally spend the rest of your life trying to connect again. You feel separate. And 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 there's a gap between you and and where you came from and the connection that you had at the beginning. And the entire story of your life is trying to get back to that sense of connection. Um, that's like a psychological sort of idea, but it mirrors the Adam and Eve idea and, and sin idea really, really well. And the whole story of the church and the whole story of Christianity is how do we restore the connection that we had at the beginning, you know? Um, and, uh, and I have no idea how we got here in this conversation, but <laughs> I don't, I don't either. I don't but remember where we started. But what blew my mind, and maybe I'll, maybe we can, I don't know, we got to wrap it up at some point. I can't keep you here forever. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you have things to do. What blew my mind was to realize that what the Catholic Church considers Mary as the new Eve and Christ as the new Adam. Yeah. When I go to church and receive the Eucharist, I am receiving that God, I'm receiving God back into myself that reestablishes that bond, which is... Totally crazy. I mean, yeah. And, and well, the church, in the sense, is the new connection. Garden of Eden. I mean, like it's this, it's this crazy world that I don't know. I, I, I never would have understood as an evangelical Christian 
this this rich kind of symbolism happening there. But yeah, yeah. Well, and and if you that actually just ties into the sort of psychological yeah. thing that I just talked about. Like, like in a sense, if you spend your whole life trying to reconnect with you know the parents from which you came, or like, or their parents before them, or take that lineage back, like if 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 the story of us feeling incomplete is a story of us trying to reconnect with where we came from there's no there's no physical representation m- m- more apt than the eucharist f- for that right i mean like you're ta- you're literally taking i mean if if you believe in transubstantiation you're taking jesus's body and his blood into your body and and in becoming one with him in that sense and that I mean that's a pretty remarkable <laughs> idea. You put that you put that really nicely. That's pretty poetic, John. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm working on being a Catholic, I guess. So <laughs> Oh, look man, this has been a, an absolute pleasure of a conversation. Yeah, yeah, dude, thank I you. Mean, I I feel like we did we talked about so much and we also scratched the surface. So Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time. I mean, come back anytime and and do more scratching. I got a, yeah. I got an ear. <laughs> Love it. I can't carry that metaphor any further. It's gonna sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> well, dude, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for what you do and and how thoughtfully you do it. And uh, I re- really appreciate you, man. Well, thank you, and thank you for coming here, and thank you for opening up this conversation. I mean, this is a huge thing. This is, this is like, I mean, the the things that I. I, I resonate with deeply when I when I went through this journey on my own and ended up becoming Catholic. I'm like, why aren't more people asking these questions? Why aren't there more right. people like you being like, guys, something's going on here. I've toured these churches around around North America and I feel like we're all like kind of a bit like confused. I'm like, yes, yes, I, I yeah, somebody else who feel who feels oh, this yeah. way. I mean, you know what? It's it's a really bizarre parallel journey. So so thanks for for chatting it out where can i mean where can people go to follow you i mean i'm yeah. i don't know it's funny i know in these conversations very often you'll probably have a guest who has like a book to talk about or like a if it's a musician it's like i'll check out our new single or something like that uh and normally at the end of these conversations you sort of like hawk your wares right so i i have nothing um <laughs> i have nothing i have no I have nothing to uh, to point people to other than if you're interested in in you know these types of conversations if you're someone that has uh, you know doubts and questions and and you don't feel like there's a space for those um, I'm sort of having conversations like this particularly on Instagram so that's probably the best place to to look for me um, but you know cordial Catholic obviously definitely be be following uh, following you as well because you've got a lot of really thoughtful <laughs> things to say. Hey, you're the first person that's promoted me on my show. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> it, it, it seemed a bit superfluous halfway through it because I realized that they know about you if they're listening to this. So, but still. And don't worry about no hurt. book. To, no, don't worry about no book to hawk. I've had guys come on who said, well, you can, you can call me at this number. <laughs> <laughs> Pull a Bob Goff. Yeah. We get all, we yeah. get all sorts. Yeah. Hey man. Thanks so much. Um, It's been a blast. It's been great, man. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Take care.
Thank you once again for listening to this episode of the Cordial Catholic Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope you learned something new. If you're a new listener to this show, thecordialcatholic.com is our website. I have a blog up there, lots of articles I've written about the Catholic faith, my conversion experience, and show notes and links to past episodes as well. Got a fantastic back catalog to check out, so please do subscribe to this podcast. Please follow it. Please check out some of those fantastic back episodes. There's lots to dig into, although the earlier stuff is pretty embarrassing. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing. Hey, still don't. Cordial Catholic on Twitter, The Cordial Catholic on Facebook, cordialcatholic at gmail.com for your feedback. Please reach out. Let me know who you are, why you're listening, where you're listening from. I'd love all your questions, your feedback. I write back to all of it as soon as I can. So please do reach out. Patreon.com slash cordialcatholic to support this show financially paypal.me slash cordialcatholic for a one-time donation. All those funds go right back into helping to keep this show going and growing. And thank you so much to those already supporting the mission of this show. Thanks, guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please come back again next week. There's much more in the can to be released shortly. (laughs) Hope you'll join us again. And guys, take care. God bless and see you next week. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.